In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Well, the Badgers go on the road to Northwestern. Jim Leonard's debut, and it's an absolute dominating victory. A 42-7 win over Northwestern. It's their uh, biggest win down there since 1983. Most dominating victory probably since uh, 1994. They went down there and won by 32. A lot of big-time wins have not been had at Northwestern over the years, but the Badgers did it, and they did it in impressive fashion. They went down, put their their foot on Northwestern's throat, and and never looked back. Uh, We are going to get to all of it. We'll get to your Twitter questions. Jesse was down there. He'll uh, tell us all about what everybody said afterwards. Um, Before we get started, though, as always, if you can subscribe and rate, and even if you want to leave a review on whatever app that you get your podcast from, we appreciate it. Jesse, I mean, I I guess I I was expecting Wisconsin to win. Certainly wasn't expecting Wisconsin to win like that. Uh, That was just a absolute uh, dominating victory from start to finish. Yeah, it was. I think it's hard to process how much of this has to do with Northwestern being a bad football team. The Wildcats have now lost five straight games, including four at home, one of which was to an FCS opponent. And how much was Wisconsin executing up to its potential? I think it's certainly a little bit of both. But this was a get-right game for the Badgers at the most necessary time. They played pretty sound defensively and offensively which I know we'll get into, they were explosive in a way we have very rarely seen. And clearly they had some new plans in place for this game, which I'm excited to dive into. Yeah, again, you're right. I mean, they weren't overwhelming defensively by any stretch, but they got key stops. They had, uh, you know, three, they forced three turnovers, got a couple of interceptions, um, knocked the quarterback out of the game. But yeah, offensively is kind of where everybody I think was, was looking because obviously with Paul Chris no longer on the sideline, there was... I don't want to say Bobby Ingram ever had anybody looking over his shoulder, you know, with, with Paul Chris, but there was, there was, you know, at least some um, influence from Paul Christ on the game plan and the play calling. And uh, I, I, as you said, how much do we give credit to Northwestern and how much credit do we give to Wisconsin? But the offense certainly looked better. Uh, they put up, as we said, 42 points. They had six touchdowns through the air, the most in school history. One of those, by Braylon Allen, the other five from uh, Graham Mertz that uh, tied the school record, his own school record that he held with a couple other guys. But now he's the first one in school history to have multiple five touchdown games. Chimray DK accounted for three of those. He had 185 yards. I mean, you think about some of the things that, that happened. These are things that hadn't happened in quite some time. I mean, I think him and Lee Evans are the only two guys that have had 185 yards plus three touchdowns in a game for Wisconsin, at least in the last 20 years. And it wasn't just him, obviously. Uh, Skylar Bell got involved and uh, Marcus Allen got involved. It it was just a really well put together game plan. Raylan Allen, 135 yards on the ground, threw for a touchdown. But when it comes down to it, I think a lot of people are wondering what was different, right? Like what was different that we saw from Wisconsin on Saturday than we hadn't seen before? And um, I'm sure that was certainly the talk after the game. I will say this. uh, People were calling for them to throw the ball on first down, right? That was what everybody, you know, start throwing the ball on first down, get these guys out of the box, make, make them pay for putting eight people up near the line of scrimmage. And Wisconsin did, they threw the ball uh, on first down nine times. Six of those came in the first quarter. 
and five of them came on those first two drives. The one that obviously ended with the missed field goal, and then obviously the the impressive six or the uh, ninety eight yard drive that that Graham Mertz finished off with the touchdown of Skylar Bell. They got them on their heels a little bit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And a game like that certainly leaves me to wonder exactly how much Paul Christ was involved in the day-to-day operations of the offense. And Jim Leonard said in the week leading up to the game that, I mean, he acknowledged, obviously, Christ was helped to shape the game plan, but he said they needed to find a different way to get to the plan. And obviously they did. And Leonard stressed how important play action was, which was something that had been missing. So this was the the follow story that I wrote that's publishing Monday on exactly what the changes were. I think they were very notable. And you referenced the first down throws, but some of the other important changes were the use of play action. So got obviously access to some advanced stats. And according to Pro Football Focus, Graham completed seven of 10 passes on play action for 70 yards with two touchdowns through the first five games. He'd completed six of nine passes total on play action. So they wanted to utilize that help keep defenses honest a little bit. And another noticeable change that they used was a a wrinkle that we had not seen at all this season, which was the use of the pistol. Um, A little bit different variety of the shotgun. It sort of merges the shotgun and a traditional under center idea where Graham stands a little bit closer to the center running back stands a couple yards behind him, but he completed all nine of his passes out of the shotgun for, or out of the pistol, excuse me, for, for 75 yards with a touchdown. And then they also ran the ball a couple times out of the pistol. They had not used that formation at all this season. So I think those were the most noticeable on the field changes. Obviously they had tremendous success and Jim Leonard felt like they could get Jim Ray DK open on the edges that was his biggest question or or ask of the offensive staff this week as well. Another thing Jim mentioned earlier in the week, he asked them, how can we get the ball to our playmakers and make them dynamic, which was certainly lacking in a lot of games this season. And granted, some of this has to do with Northwestern's defense, but like, look at the first touchdown drive. So obviously the first offensive series ends with the 35 yard missed field goal. And then Graham completes all four of his passes on the next drive. All of them come either out of RPO action or play action. The last two, he was under center, had a play action and the touchdown pass that he threw to a wide open Skylar bell. It was in part because the safety bit on the fake, the fake handoff. And then bell was totally open. So very noticeable. And of course the other thing, Bobby Ingram was on the sideline which was the first time that had happened this season. He had spent the first five games up in the box. As we know, this is his first season calling plays. So it's a little bit of a feeling out process, but Leonard said that it was really important for players to see his presence and Jim as well, see their presence on the sideline so that they could know that they have confidence in the players and also so that they could communicate. And I thought it was funny. I asked Braylon Allen after the game, whether he noticed a difference with Bobby on the sideline. And he said, yeah, I could tell him face to face to give me the ball. (laughs) Uh, I guess that, I guess that worked out pretty well because he carried 23 times. So it didn't, it didn't hurt that the offensive line probably played its best game of the season. Graham wasn't sacked. There were very few pressures and it all came together for an offense that finally played to his potential against a power five team. I have uh, taken a lot of abuse with some of my uh, preseason predictions, whether it's the defense or whether it video Calderuso or, you know, some of that stuff. But I also said throughout the off season that Chimray DK had a chance to be uh, was Constance true number first true number one wide receiver since Quintez Cephas. And to this point, we hadn't seen it a lot. Obviously had a hundred yard game earlier in the year. 
I'm not patting myself on the back, but this is the Chimray DK that I thought we could get. Now, he's not going to have 10 catches for 185 yards and three scores every day, but he needed to be a future part of the offense, and he needed the ball in his hands, and it was pretty darn clear from the start. Three of the first four passes that Graham threw went to Chimray DK. Uh, 11 on the day, 10 of them turned into catches. That's that's a playmaker. That's a true number one type wide receiver, and it's not that they don't have talent other places. Certainly, Skylar Bell is talented, and Countess Lewis being out there, surprising, uh, after we saw him got carted off, um, and, and Marcus Allen, and, and everything else that they have. But Chimray DK showed exactly, I think, kind of what I was not expecting of him all the time, but a little bit of why I think he has that type of talent to him. Yeah, and, and Graham talked about after the game that when they were going over the plan this week, there was a moment where he talked to Chimray and was basically like, you're about to have a heyday. Like, he felt as though based on what they saw defensively and what they put in place this week, that Chimray was going to be able to have success. And I don't know how much of this will carry over Michigan state, which is up next week. Clearly at this stage, it's not a particularly great football team, but I, I think to put this on film and to just show guys what they're capable of is huge at, at this stage of the season. And you've got to have a number one that you can rely on in a lot of past years, as you said, why was that team in 2019 so good? Certainly Jack Cohn and Jonathan Taylor, but having a Quintez Cephas like that who could go downfield and make the big plays and open things up was significant. And so you're right. They've got the number one guy and he's starting to show it. So obviously the the offense in general, and you mentioned the offense line, and I, I gave him one of my game balls just because it, it's simple. It, I mean, it's pretty simple. After you run for two yards and gave up a bunch of sacks, week before you better come back out and have a better game. You better come out and not, I don't think they necessarily dominated. It's not like, you know, there was, they were running at will, but they had a ton of success. And as you mentioned, Graham Mertz barely touched. He didn't get sacked when he has a clean pocket. I, and I, obviously I don't have the advanced analytics to go along with this, but and I assume this is the case with most quarterbacks, but when he's got a clean pocket, I feel like almost every single pass he throws has a very good chance of being completed. I mean, it's just it's just kind of where he's at right now. And we can talk about a lot of things, but Graham Mertz now has 13 touchdowns on the year. Right. It's better than he had in either of the last two seasons, complete seasons. We've, he's only played six games. Obviously, five touchdowns this game helps. But you look at some of his, his stats and I know he didn't have a very good game against Ohio State and didn't play well against Illinois. Uh, but for the six games he's played, he's he's been pretty darn good. And when you look at his uh, pass efficiency rating right now for the season, it's third. I mean, if it would be third all time in school history behind only Russell Wilson and Scott Tolzien and um, the touchdowns to not make a ton of mistakes, put the ball where guys can make plays on it. And it's just it's not it hasn't been great all the time, but it's been more good than bad plenty for him this year. Yeah, it's an encouraging sign. And, and I, I talked to him leading into the Ohio State game back when things were a little bit different, I suppose, about some of the changes that he made, which we addressed a few weeks ago, that the change in the mechanics, which is. It made a huge difference with Graham. I don't. Maybe we didn't talk about it on this show because um, we usually do Sunday episodes, and that was at the at midweek. But he spent a lot of time in the offseason with his personal quarterbacks coach back in Kansas, and they addressed what they felt like were mechanical flaws, where he had a tendency to fly open a little bit on the front side with his the way he planted, and also his his left elbow. And he felt as though he could get to throws this season that he was not able to get to previously. And I think those are some of the things that you don't necessarily see because you're not watching every throw that he makes but that has made a big difference and yeah they're putting him in position to succeed like wisconsin allowed a pressure on just 16.7 percent of the the team's dropbacks 
last uh, yesterday or on Saturday against Northwestern. And that, that was seems the lowest, high. <laughs> that, well, that was the lowest total of the season. It does, right? Yeah. Um, but that's just a pressure. That's not a sack. So you, they didn't surrender a sack. That hadn't happened this season. And you have seen in a lot of games where he's got the clean pocket. He can go through his progressions. He doesn't get happy feet. And he's able to stay in there and make good throws. And I also think he's shown a little bit of mobility, too. Like yes. He, they, they like to get him on the run as well. And that's something that has gotten better. So, again, the talent is there. And maybe this is the kind of turning point in the season. The schedule is wide open for the most part, as we've seen. I mean, Illinois just beat Iowa 9-6. to six. I think that might have set football back 50 years. So, if they can play well, they, they got a shot in every game the rest of the way. Yeah, going to need, obviously, Illinois to lose two more times to uh, get that. But I, mean, I guess we'll see how long uh, Tommy DeVito is out for them. Because uh, if they play Arthur Sitkowski, they are not winning the Big Ten West. That is, I mean, their defense may may get it, but I mean, they are a horrible, horrible offense with anybody other than Tommy DeVito uh, playing quarterback. So the, uh, the thing about Mertz on the run, his third touchdown, the one where he got out of the pocket and then floated it to Chimwright, that's I mean, we saw not a not the exact same play, but kind of the same play against Illinois. And he got hit and now he wasn't in as much danger against Northwestern. But you just you never know where the where the pressure is going to be coming from. Right. Like you you don't know there could be somebody right behind you. But um, the throw that got picked off against Illinois this time, it goes for a touchdown. So um, improvement, I think you could say, yeah, him, him and him. It's not even getting him on the move, but like when he has to move around keeping his eyes downfield and looking for somebody. And he probably should have had a couple more or at least one more where Skylar Bell kind of thought he was going to get hit. So he kind of took his eyes off right. the ball on yes. that one on the sideline. But um, there's been a lot of good throws on the, on the run, especially against uh, Northwestern, the wildcat, Jesse. Um, I know people are furious about it a lot. I, I, and I get it at times. <laughs> I, I mean, I, and I get it because it's, it, it feels like it's an offense from um, it, it feels like nobody's doing it anymore. Right. Like just it, it just doesn't happen a ton. And yet when it comes out and brings out a, a play like the, the Braylon Allen touchdown, you can be like, all right, well, that's that's why the Wildcat uh, is in the offense, even though uh, a lot of people do not like it. Well, if you're going to use the Wildcat, you've got to be inventive with it, because if you got Braylon Allen back there, for the most part, the expectation is he's just going to plow forward. And obviously, Wisconsin has to rely on its blocking, which, by the way, I think it's worth mentioning, too, that they did some different things because they had Logan Brown as an extra blocker. And then they put Koldakovich in there. Obviously the tight end situation is not where it, uh, they, the team wanted it to be with Hayden Rucci and Clay Cundiff being injured, but they just put the beef up front and they plowed forward. But that touchdown was great. And Braylon talked after the game about the read on the play was Keontes Lewis. And that was the only progression that he had. And if it wasn't there, he was supposed to throw it away, but he kept, you saw, he kept his head down the field and he bought some time and he found Chess for the touchdown. And it ended up being it ended up being the first touchdown by a pass by a non-quarterback since James White threw a touchdown in the 2012 Big Ten championship game against Nebraska. So they've been few and far between. They don't have them very often. And obviously that's how Wisconsin was able to get six touchdown passes in the game for the first time in program history. It's like people complain about it when it doesn't work. But if it works, you know, then well, then I think people are okay with it. That's that's everything in life. I was going to say that's everything. That's absolutely everything in life. Um, oh, it was awesome. It worked. It was horrible because it didn't work. That's just that's how things are. But I'd like to, you know, jump into kind of the idea uh, of what these guys went through this past week. 
Yeah. Um, because they were very emotional, right? We talked about it on on Thursday when we did the show. There was a, there's a lot of emotion there with guys. We didn't get to talk to are you guys didn't get to get to talk to a lot of them because they wanted to. I think they obviously wanted to keep it down. So you got to talk to a few more yesterday after the game um, outside of the captains and, uh, you know, and Braylon Allen. Uh, I think some of the quotes that came out of there afterwards, a lot of it was about Paul Christ and playing for him. And did, did you get that feeling in there? Like, is it does it feel like it, this is still very much Paul Christ's team or has Jim Leonard been able to to gravitate up and, and take some of that away? Like, it, or is this just Jim Leonard's uh, holding things on here for Paul Christ at this point? So this all starts with the messaging that Jim is giving the team. And I think that's an important distinction to make is that he, he said several different things during the week about how to get the team prepared. Obviously, initially it was let it hurt, let it burn, get outside the football building and feel your emotions. And when you come back in, compartmentalize, figure out how to do that. Because when we're between the lines, we need to figure out how to be the best football team we can be. And he said he felt like by the end of day Tuesday and the start of Wednesday, when they were going through practices and walkthroughs and meetings, that the team had started to turn a corner in terms of its intensity and the emotions being in the right place. But another key point that he made was he wanted to make it clear that this was still Paul Christ's football team. And that wasn't going to change with Jim Leonard in charge, even though obviously there were going to be some tweaks. Clearly, offensively, there were several. But I think that's where it starts. The focus this week, and players talked about it, it was never on Jim Leonard. It was about you want to respect and honor Paul Christ and realize that he is one of the key reasons why a lot of these players are here on campus playing for the football team. So when you've got that coming from Leonard, then there is a trickle down effect. And Nick Herbig talked about it after the game as well. Obviously it's an extremely emotional week for him. He said he felt like he lost a, a best friend in, in terms of somebody that he wasn't able to see around the football offices every day. And he spoke to Paul on the phone Friday before the game. And uh, he multiple players said they're dedicating this season to Chris. So that they're kind of rallying around that idea of playing for Paul. And it's strange because at the same time, Jim still has to put his own spin and imprint on this team to make the group better. And in the long run, which he's not thinking about right now, because it is a week to week when you're in the foxhole, but the long run is if you do enough, you are in this job full time. So there are certainly a lot at play right now. But no doubt it was an extremely emotional week for this group. And I think at the end, it was just good for them to have a reason to smile and feel like they accomplished something. And maybe you can start to turn the page a little bit. You can't forget what happened because it was so stunning and emotional two Sundays ago. But there's still half the regular season to play and a lot more out there. It is a little weird, though, right? I mean, he he got fired Mm -hmm. largely because these guys didn't play up to what they were capable of. Yes. And now they're playing for him. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that they had could have done it any differently, but it it feels like he's still there, but he's just not in the building. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously the leaders of the team are still talking to him and he meant so much to them. And I I don't know, obviously not privy to the conversations or how frequently or how many minutes they're talking for. But in general, I think, It's admirable that a lot of the players have come forward. Obviously, six players, the leaders of the team, were made available to reporters on Wednesday, and we had a chance after the game Saturday to talk to several more. But that they've a lot of them have come forward and talked about that they feel a big sense of responsibility for this happening in the first place. Obviously, if their play had been better, they wouldn't be in this situation. So there's a lot of layers to it right now, but they want to honor 
what Paul Crisp has meant for the program. They want to understand how they played a part in him no longer being the coach. And they want to play better for themselves and for Leonard and for the program. Do you think they are better off now with this situation than they than they were at this time last last week before we before the news broke? Are they is this program in a better spot? I feel like I don't want to be overly reactive here, but I feel like the answer is yes. Um, and yeah, it's really nuanced in my mind. Obviously, they played well against a bad Northwestern team, but if this is the kind of offense that it can be with a lot of wrinkles that we never saw before, that is a step in the right direction. If Jim Leonard can rally and inspire the team, and this happens a lot of times with other programs across the country. So one game doesn't mean everything, but we certainly saw the way that he was able to command respect and demand accountability. I think that's the other thing. And he made that clear during the week as well, that you've got to execute and be accountable for your mistakes. The coaching staff will as well. Jim didn't call the best of games the last two weeks. They gave up 86 points, but the players have to demand accountability. And I think we saw a little more of that as well. So in part, it's it's like too early to tell because it's been one game, but I do feel like this has the potential to be the step that Wisconsin needed to take and what Chris McIntosh was looking for, for the program to move forward. Still, I think though, it's, it's kind of too early to tell, right? Yeah. But that's yeah. my gut sense. Did you notice any other differences in uh, whether it was how thing how they prepared uh, during the week, um, how the how they played in the game, how things were run on the sideline? Did you notice anything else? Any other differences than uh, than what we normally see? The, the biggest thing from the Jim Leonard standpoint, and he addressed this after the game, was for him, it was this idea of being available for everything. When you're the defensive coordinator, you're in charge of the defense. You don't really. I mean, I don't know how much you're paying attention when the offense is on the field because you want to drop schemes and talk to the defense to make sure they're ready for the next series. And he's standing there on the sideline and, and for everything. And a player gets hurt, and he's the one running out there to talk to them. And, I mean, you saw him in, in Fitz out there when Cedric Dort got hurt when his head hit the turf. And so from a coaching standpoint, that was something that I think was noticeable because now he's the head coach and he's responsible for everything. And in terms of preparation, just – I think the schedule changed a little bit for Wisconsin getting ready because Leonard talked about even on Monday, he pushed things back a little bit. Usually they have their first walkthrough on Monday morning and there was still that grieving process of these players trying to come to grips with the fact that their head coach was no longer there. So he moved everything to the afternoon. And also he wanted to buy time for the coaching staff, which had to scramble and figure out roles and responsibilities. But I feel like in talking to people that by midweek, it was kind of business as usual. But those are some of the, I think, things that stand out about the week. Yeah, it was it was certainly different. And uh, now they probably get back to a little bit more normalcy this week. Uh, a couple uh, injury things to pop up. You, you mentioned Cedric Dort. That looks scary initially, yeah. really scary. You know, you go motionless for a while. What was the update on him? Jim Leonard said after the game that it was much better than it initially looked but he, he wasn't going to speculate on where things stood. But I think that is certainly um, a relief for everybody involved and for everybody watching because it was extremely scary. You're right. He hit his head very hard on the turf um, and didn't move, and you just didn't know what was going to happen. But Leonard said that he was in a, in a much better spot by the time the game was over. But don't know a status report at this stage on on where things are at for the rest of the week or the season. Yeah. And then there, the other one, the 
you know, concerning as well was Keanu Benton leaving in the first half. Uh, initially, it looked like an ankle injury, but I think what did Jim Leonard say afterwards? It was knee. Didn't he thought he got knee to knee with some with another guy? Yeah, I, I think so. And and obviously, again, don't have an update, but it seemed like that has the potential to not be as bad. I mean, obviously, on Mondays, reporters get an injury report, which may or may not contain everybody or be a hundred percent accurate. But it seemed like there's the potential for Keanu to be okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the injury wise, they uh, were without Tyler beach, which kind of forced mm-hmm. them to, to mix some things up again. I think they've started a different offensive line in like five, five of the six games. I don't yes. think they've had. The, yeah. So Tanner Bordellini forced over to the left guard, but again, that's his versatility. He can play pretty much anywhere. And uh, I don't necessarily think we saw certainly not any kind of a drop off at all. Um, and, and we'll see, exactly how they want to go about it moving forward, whether Tyler moves back into that spot or maybe they like the, the way that they uh, they played there. But trying to think what else. Oh, Alexander Smith was supposed to play. Did you see him out there? I did not. Maybe he played a play or two. I don't know. Did you see him out there at all? I don't even think I was paying attention, to be honest. There was so much other <laughs> stuff and there was so much other stuff going on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I can look um, up. How about how about this? What if I just look up the snap counts? Wouldn't that be easy? It would be. It would be. Let's find um, out. Okay. Don't see him. <laughs> okay. All right. He's not showing up. You can hear yeah. my, if you can hear my keyboard clicking, anything else you want looked up from the advanced metrics? <laughs> no, I, I like, I, I feel like I didn't see him out there, but um, either way, uh, I think they obviously they were hoping to have him back, but they played a bunch of guys back there. I just don't think he was one of them. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, this week should be a little bit more normal, right? Like they, uh, they should have a little bit more normal and they get ready to go to Michigan state, a spot that they uh, won back in 2016. The last time, they went there and this Michigan state team is hurting to say, to say the least. I mean, at this, they, they may have the worst secondary in the big 10. Um, so this could be another potential big game for Wisconsin's offense, especially in the passing game, if they decide that they want to go that way, but let's get into, let's get into some of these Twitter questions. Sure. Um, John says, I feel like fans who for years have been clamoring for this kind of game plan, more PA, uh, more play action, pass more on first down, less predictable play calling were validated. How can thousands of people with minimal knowledge of the sport see something that a coach who gets paid 5 million couldn't? <laughs> I suppose um, I have a better answer in the next six games. I don't know how much of this is going to work against better teams, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to defend. <laughs> Uh, when you see, I mean, just defend the decisions in general, when you see how effective it was. And the other part is they hadn't done this at all this year. So if it was something that they had been doing, maybe Northwestern would have been better prepared for it, but absolutely. This is extremely validating for those people who wanted to see some changes. And it shows you that Wisconsin can still be Wisconsin football, right? They can still rely on the run, but if they've got an effective passing game, an efficient passing game, it makes such a huge difference. And there are different ways to get to that while still being a run team. Like you can run the pistol and you can still run the ball. So you keep the defenses on their heels a little bit more. Well, yeah, for sure. I also thought it was, and maybe this is just uh, without looking at any statistics whatsoever. um, It it felt like Northwestern tried to play a lot of man coverage and a lot of uh, Chimere DK's, catches especially the touchdowns came on uh crossing routes that allowed him to you know and and they were able to hook up and for the most part i think a lot of wisconsin success this year at least graham mertz's success this year has been against zone and so i think that might be another maybe another thing to keep an eye on uh that if if they're able to to have success 
with man beaters that they, I don't necessarily think they've had a ton of success with, then um, I think that's another positive to go along with this passing game that would uh, force teams to um, maybe not just go one way against them. Chris says uh, some are quick to point out that it's only Northwestern and they're mm-hmm. the worst team in the Big Ten. But I'm not taking I'm I'm not, I'm not taking any win for granted after what we've seen this year. Can we get an update on your projections for the remainder of the season? So Wisconsin does have six games left. They are three and three. They have, I mean, I look at their schedule and I, I mean, I guess we'll see what this week. I would assume they're favored this week, but you look at the rest of their schedule. I don't think there's a game that they won't be favored in. I mean, I guess we'll see what happens with Minnesota when they come here, but I I think it's been quite a while since Minnesota has been a favorite on Wisconsin. So three games, six games left. What do you, what do you got? Sometimes I will have to stop myself from being a prisoner of the moment and saying, yeah. wow, look how great they played against Northwestern. And at the same time, Big Ten West stinks and Wisconsin is just as good or bad as every other team. So I, like if Jim Leonard goes five and two down the stretch, that feels very reasonable. And maybe it's even better than that. I mean, you're going to have to go to I one win Nebraska is at least rallying a little bit under its interim coach. But in the Minnesota game at the end, I just think it's totally wide open. And I don't think it's a stretch to suggest Wisconsin under Leonard could go five and two and maybe better. They did because the talent is there. Like that's the other thing. The talent is there. And if they put the right game plan in place, they should be able to have success. I agree. Uh, it just came across uh, Wisconsin four and a half point favorites this week at Michigan State. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'll just go ahead and say it. I think they're going to go six and zero. Oh. Uh, I don't, I don't see them losing again, and uh, I don't think it's going. I don't know if it's going to be enough to get the Big Ten championship game, but that's what, that's that's just what I'm going with. No, I'm okay. kidding. That's I'm kidding. a bold pick. No, nah, no, nah, nah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I, I mean, where do you, where are the two losses for you? Well, I think. <laughs> Look, Iowa's offense stinks, but when yes. they play each other, it feels like it's the same teams going against each other, and it's at Iowa. I think that's a possibility. And beyond that, I mean, the sky would be falling if Minnesota came into Camp Randall and then won for the third time in five years overall, second time there. But it's a possibility. Yeah, I, Really, it, to me, it, it comes down to the last three games. Okay. Obviously, Purdue has the potential to, but also hasn't been the Badgers since, what, 2003? So is that Kyle Orton? Like, yes, you're going to have to show me that you can beat Wisconsin. And the same, let's the same holds true for Nebraska. Like right. you got to show me that you can go do it before. I think Wisconsin's going to lose at the same time. These teams feel even in a lot of situations based on what we've seen through six games of Wisconsin. And I don't know what Wisconsin team's going to show up is the other thing. Right. I mean, could, was this just a, were they playing on emotion this week? Were they, yes. I mean, because, Right. Like that's that certainly could be a factor. But again, I uh, it feels it feels different. And again, Northwestern, I know we don't want to say that, but it is Northwestern and uh, they're not very good this year. But Wisconsin, even when Wisconsin has been good and gone down there, has struggled at times. So for them to do what they did in that game and and really just dominate from from start to finish, um, you got to get them give them credit for it. I'm going to say. I'm going to say four and two in the last six. Uh, okay. I, I think that Maryland game is is one that could jump up and grab you. They have the explosiveness in the pass game that could certainly be an issue for Wisconsin. And then, uh, yeah, that Minnesota game. Then again, Minnesota 
if Mo Ibrahim's there, I think they'll be in. It's going to be a a really close game. If he's not, we'll see. Yeah. Um, they are just a completely different offense when he's not out there. Uh gosh, yeah, at Iowa with that defense, the way that that they can slow guy slow people down, it could be difficult. But again, I could see them winning every one of these games. I could see them losing three of them. You know what I mean? Like that's that's just the way that this this. Uh, and to be fair, I probably could see them losing all six of them. Um, that's just the way that, that Wisconsin has been this year. You don't necessarily know which one you're going to get. And maybe under Jim Leonard, that's different. Maybe they're going to show up and, and, and play big every week. But right now, right now, you don't know exactly what you're going to get from on a week to week basis. So there's that. All right. Uh, moving on here. <laughs> Bix says, uh, with Jim Leonard now the head coach, what are the odds we can make the college football playoffs? We looked really good against Northwestern. Zero. I think yeah. we should just move on. <laughs> uh, Todd says, if uh, Paul Chris was on the sideline, what would this game have looked like? Yeah, that's a very interesting hypothetical. I think Wisconsin wins because Wisconsin is better than Northwestern, but I don't think the offense looks the way that it did because, again, they were doing things they hadn't done all season. Would they have just suddenly opened it up? It See, that's one of the intriguing aspects of this whole thing to me is how much and I, this is speculative, but how much was Paul's input holding back what Bobby Ingram wanted to do? We'll probably never get an answer to that. And how much was this stuff just kind of already in the plans? I know that there were some new wrinkles put in and whether that was just straight up implementing the pistol or something like that. I mean, that could be the case. Wisconsin would have won. And I, it, it's just really fascinating. You know, if Wisconsin goes five and two under Leonard or something, Paul Christ very well could have gone five and two uh, just with this schedule. Um, although for the reasons, obviously, in part that I laid out in the story last week, things weren't weren't going in the direction that Chris McIntosh wanted them to, which is why I made the change. Yes. All right. What else we got here? Uh, this this kind of goes to that same idea with with Paul Christ. It, Badger fan says, uh he said he couldn't see the game. Did it show that Paul Chris had too much influence on the play calling and why they were stuck in predictable run plays and strategy that would not adapt? Again, speculative, but it makes me feel that way. Um, and I, I don't know whether that's a fair comment or not. I, I want to be transparent with people who are listening because we're not in on the meetings. And obviously, Paul made his bones as the offensive coordinator, and he knows more about offense. He'll forget more about offense than I'll ever know. But you just see what the differences were and how effective it was. And it makes you wonder what kinds of conversations were being had and how much Paul was saying, this is what we need to run or overriding things. I don't know the answer. All right, let's move on to Tim. And I, I guess it kind of stays on this one as well uh, on this, this Paul Chris theme uh, offense clearly took a step forward. No way. These RPO plays have just been added to the playbook over the last week. Right. Some stuff was added. I mean, we know that. But what stuff? Don't have the answer to that. I think I feel like the play action stuff, that's always been there. They just weren't doing it necessarily because um, it wasn't it didn't seem like anything groundbreaking or earth shattering. They just went to it more. But it feels like the RPO stuff was a, a little bit different, at least. Yeah. And he, he goes on to ask, um, also, did Jim Leonard already show he's ready for this head coaching gig? It feels like a natural fit for him. Yeah, I think we haven't necessarily addressed just what a week like this showed about Jim Leonard. Uh, this was a week that nobody could have predicted last Sunday, obviously. Jim Leonard, Jim Leonard wakes up, he's the defensive coordinator. By the end of the night, he's the interim head coach, and he's got to manage the emotions of not just 100-plus players, but his assistant coaches, of support staff, 
And he did, by all accounts, an incredible job of doing all that by giving the right messages, by preparing people, by motivating and inspiring them. And it's just one week, but I don't know what more you could have possibly asked out of Jim Leonard. And we talked about this on the last show that he had been successful in everything that he'd done and made us believe that he would be successful here. But there's still six games to go during the regular season, which are ultimately going to dictate what Chris McIntosh decides to do. Uh, Mutable Opinion asks, do you think Leonard downplayed his role on offense? Interesting comments about safety coverage. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And I don't know. I feel like he certainly had more input than he ever would have before because now he was in that role. I wonder how much of it was simply empowering the coaches. And the big talking point again was let's get in a room and figure out how to get the ball to the playmakers and allow them to be more dynamic. I don't know how much Leonard was involved um, or whether it was just let's open things up and, and you do you, but defensive coaches, I think have, sometimes an advantage because they know what will be effective against particular defenses. And and if anything, you certainly want to rely on the expertise of a guy who knows more about defense than most people on this planet. I also think it's, and you, because you were there, I don't know if you heard the halftime interview. He did say he was asked about all the changes and he said Mm -hmm. he gave all credit to Bobby Ingram. So I don't know if that's just him straight up saying um, this is Bobby. And because he was like, Oh, the, the the question was something about the way that you've got you guys have approached this or the what what went into your approach offensively and he's like that's all Bobby so yeah um, he he gave all the credit there I don't know if that's actually what was the case or not I feel like he may have had a little bit of an influence on it but not necessarily on the on game day you know what I mean like mm-hmm. that to yeah. me that offense was all Bobby Ingram and, and the offensive staff putting it together what and you mentioned Braylon Allen saying, yeah, I could look him at the, you know, with Bobby Ingram being on the sideline, I can look at him on, on the face and say, give me the ball. How much do you think it helped Graham? Like, I, I feel like it that is extremely valuable because that's the first time he's ever had that. I mean, obviously he had Paul there on the sideline, but every other time his quarterback coach has been up in the booth. Uh, do you think there's some value to that, being able to talk face-to-face, uh, especially when it comes to play calls? I 100% believe that, but I've also never been an offensive coordinator, and I don't know what the value is and being up in the box other than you've got an opportunity to see things from an angle that you can't see on the field. I mean, we've been down on the field. You cannot really see what's going on with all 11 because it's just a tough angle. And when you're up high, you can, but the trade-off is when you're down on the field, you can have those conversations. Graham can go right to the sideline. And Jim talked about it, the value of these players being able to look the coaches in the eye and understand that they have confidence and have those conversations and hash them out, not over the phone. So I don't think it was insubstantial. Obviously, the proof is in the pudding and Graham threw for a career-high 299 yards. And Jim did say, moving forward, based on the fact of how effective it was week one, it may be something that they continue to do. And I did, it's part of it, too, is Bobby Ingram still experimenting with what he feels like he'll be comfortable with and what will work because he had never done this before. Josh said uh, after a potential fumble, the, the one where it was Ches Malusi, the ball came loose late. Uh, the Wisconsin offense snapped the ball before the play could be reviewed. Seems simple, but don't remember them playing with that smart, efficient speed before. Almost got a big play out of it, too. Was there, in fact, a lack of urgency in that kind of spot before? Mm, I don't know if I can speak to that specific spot. Do you remember, <laughs> do you remember the play? Because, like, Chaz, got, Chaz ran, he got flipped over, and the ball yeah. came, came free. Uh, initially it looked like he was down, but if you went back and look at it, he was on top of the guy and it probably was a fumble. Um, yeah. 
And before the thing was like before, like they were showing the replay, and when they went back to the shot of the the field, Wisconsin was already throwing the ball down the field. Like you couldn't even like they went very very quickly. And I don't know if that was a thing where Ches Malusi's like, hey, I I was on top of this guy. It's a fumble. Let's go. But it felt like at times there have been other times this year and other times during Paul Chris tenure that it's it's very laissez faire and like lollygagging up to the line, even though its potential <laughs> thing could could potentially uh, hurt you. I don't know if that's a difference with with Paul Christ or if it's just the offense understanding what the situation was and being communicated. And and Ches Malusi's like, yeah, I, I I did fumble type of thing. I think in general, there was more, there seemed to be more urgency and focus overall, and it led to better execution. The things that befell the team before, obviously, there were so many mental mistakes, so many penalties, so many turnovers. And so I think it all plays a part in it and rolls into one because they were just so locked in and ready to prove themselves and play well. Next one says, uh, does, um, does Northwestern game conclusively prove that firing Kristen elevating Leonard <laughs> is? Comparable to Clemson elevating Dabo over uh, Bobby, uh, who was it? Uh, some Bowden. I don't remember which Bowden it was. Midway through the season, and all will similarly propel the Badgers to national title contention. And I believe this is yeah, with a little bit of sarcasm. Yeah, there are a lot of questions around the, the, this uh, this angle. I yeah. I feel like we've addressed most of it. I mean, yeah. I don't know that they're going to be disagreed. Okay. No, I just I don't know that they're going to be propelled to a national title contender, but they they looked better for one week. I think we can all agree on that. They made all the changes that they needed to make. I think I think Jim Leonard is the guy for this program moving forward, um, but he's going to have to go prove it for the next six weeks. Yeah. Uh, Badger Beatdown says uh, Jake Cheney was close on three sacks. Is he's the second best rusher right now or no? Well, he's been pretty impressive. Um, I I don't know. And I don't know how much of it has to do with the other guys, how long they've been hurt. Another refreshing thing, by the way, in talking to Jim Leonard, in addition to just listening to him talk about football, is he will straight up tell you what's going on with players. Yeah. He said that Muma, Muma Jung Meta, if I'm not mistaken, and I recall correctly, broke his hand. Um, okay. And Jordan Turner had also been banged up. Um, and I don't know, uh, you know how long guys have been hurt and things like that. But that is in part what allowed Jake Cheney to get an opportunity. So I don't know. I mean, I think Jake's a really good player and he's kind of becoming, he's on the cusp of becoming one of those leaders. Like he, he has spoken after games for the last two weeks. I've been really impressed in listening to him. Um, but that doesn't answer your question about him as a pass <laughs> rusher. They, it did feel like they had, uh, he came free quite a few times. Uh, didn't actually end up getting the guy on the ground or didn't get the quarterback on the ground for a sack, but certainly, um, was a factor. I, I guess at this point, probably we didn't really talk much about the defense, but Nick Herbig, it felt like for so long or, for, you know, for a large part of this part of the season, he's been saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It hasn't always worked. He got after the quarterback a little bit. He finished with, the, I think he had team high seven tackles, had that forced fumble um, on the sack, and he was really good. And then obviously the other Hawaii guy in the defense, uh, Kamoi Latu, with a couple of interceptions, including a big one at the goal line. I think it was, it was fourth down anyway, so that, that it would have been Wisconsin's ball, even if uh, they had just knocked the pass down. But, you know, really impressive from those two guys for sure. Um, and, and the inside linebackers, it's been a bit of a struggle this year, but I thought Saturday w wasn't bad at all. I thought they, 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 the running attack for Northwestern was, has been non-existent for a large portion of the season, but it was certainly that case on Saturday too. Yeah, I mean, a Northwestern's quarterback play and offense in general has its its own issues, which contributed. Again, it's like this uh, 
it's this balancing act of understanding how much of it is Wisconsin is back and how much of it is Northwestern is bad. It's it's both. It's a step yeah. in the right direction in every phase, other than obviously the field goal kicker missed a 35 yarder by 100 yards. But well, I'm, it's I'm so conf- I'm so confused on that. Look, it it was a late it was a late uh, move. Like it it looked like it was good, and then all of a sudden it was not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? it was like, like was that the wind or did he just straight up? That's hook what it? <laughs> that's what I thought. Like that was a late hook. That was a very, very late hook. Uh, you're a golfer, so you probably know all about that. But I, uh, ouch. Yeah, no, no. But <laughs> just you've seen me golf, or at least uh, hit off hit off a tee, tee box. I, uh, I have a lot. My slice, not good, not good at all. Elaine says, "Would this team be four and one with Jim Leonard as head coach from the start?" <laughs> oh man. Um, well, they played. <laughs> they've played six games, so yeah. maybe they'd be five and one. Um, mm. I don't know. I don't know how fair it is to speculate, but you can say that with uh, they did not play anywhere near their potential against a Washington State team that the Badgers should have beaten. Illinois is showing that they're better than most people thought. I mean, they're five and one right now. Wisconsin shouldn't lose that game, but I, I imagine Wisconsin would have been better. But I also just don't know how fair it is to speculate and say like if Jim had been the head coach at the start because that's not a it's not a real scenario. Paul Chris wasn't going to get fired after last season, so. I understand the fan questions here. It's just kind of like, uh, I don't know, probably, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's an interesting back and forth that we can, that mm-hmm. we, we don't, we don't have an answer to. So, and that's, that's why people are asking a question and we can have the debate and all that good stuff, but they're clearly, uh, I think in a better spot now than they, than they were last week. That's obvious uh, coming off what was a very ugly loss to, uh, to Illinois and going down and dominating Northwestern. Now they, Get to go on the road again and face Michigan State this Saturday, three o'clock in East Lansing. They are favored by four and a half. We'll see how it plays out. I'm ex- oh, forgot the most important thing. What did you think of the uniforms? Uh, the first Solid. ever, the first ever white face mask, white shirt, red pants combination in Wisconsin history. Very solid. Obviously, the proof is in the pudding. They won handily, so maybe we'll see it again. So I don't. I mean, I I, I don't know if these numbers are. Relevant, I kind of think they are, uh, but Wisconsin is now, I believe, uh, outscoring their opponents 105 to 14 while wearing red this year. So should have worn the red pants against Ohio State, then I guess. I completely agree. I'm actually quite glad they didn't because then I wouldn't be able to use that that stat. Um, but now I'm going to be able to, and I, I feel like the red pants and not the competition at all were the reason for Wisconsin's uh, big time victories over whatever that team was, New Mexico State and uh, and Northwestern. And we'll see what they break out when they go to Michigan State on Saturday. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.